Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Robot Nation podcast. This is the podcast that's dedicated to advanced manufacturing, capital equipment, and the robotics automation industry. And this is our first podcast. And we'll be covering trends and topics important to factory automation, robotics, and we'll interview guests in our series of podcasts. So welcome, everyone. My name is Jim Beretta, and I'm your host of uh, the Robot Nation podcast. And if you like this podcast, please feel free to throw us some stars, the more the better. But more importantly, please tell your friends about it. Send them an email and uh, give us a rating on iTunes. Our email address for Robot Nation podcast is robotnationpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have an idea or an interesting company or technology or would like to be a guest or you'd like to nominate someone to be a guest, please send me an email at the same email address. And I'm pleased to welcome to our podcast today a person I've known for a very long time in the automation and robotics industry, and his name is Jeff Chapman. Jeff Chapman is the president and chief search consultant at the Chapman Group. Jeff Chapman is a human capital recruiting professional with over 30 years of experience recruiting and placing talent in the automation technology space. Operating as the Chapman Group, Inc., Jeff has had the privilege of working with industry pioneers and many of the world's leading automation companies and end users of automated products and systems, helping them find the talent that they need to be successful. From startups to mature automation and manufacturing companies, Jeff's client's list reads like the who's who of the robotics, machine vision, and automation technology business. Jeff learned manufacturing from the bottom up, starting his career at the age of 13, working summers in his father's steel fabrication company. After college, he joined the family business, full-time selling their build-a-print steel fabrication, machining, and automated plasma cutting services to transportation equipment companies in the northeastern U.S. For many years, Jeff's been active in the Robotics Industry Association as a committee member and a conference moderator. He has authored many articles relating to staffing and talent in the robotics industry and is often interviewed by industry publications on topics related to career management and jobs in the automation sector. So with that, I'd like to welcome Jeff to the podcast today. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me and congratulations on the launching of the Robot Nation podcast. I think it's a fantastic idea and I'm sure everyone in the industry will agree once they're aware that you're out there. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, I have some questions for you today, and I just think that this is a really good way to talk about uh, this really, really important issue in the talent area of robotics. So here's my first question. When it comes to talent, what set the automation industry apart from others, and why is it unique? And that's a great question. I think that the manufacturing automation technology space is kind of a conglomeration of many different pieces of technology rolled into one. And it is very complex. And because it is, it is a challenge for companies who are in that industry to find the kind of talent that they need who understand it from a holistic perspective and also down at the granular level. There are many pieces of technology that come to come together, as I've mentioned, manufacturing engineering, industrial engineering, mechanical, electrical, computer engineering, mechatronics, motion control, machine learning, machine vision. I can go on and on. Um, most recently, of course, we are aware that artificial intelligence plays a role in the manufacturing automation space, as well as cloud computing, 
uh, I think that all of that just means that it's a real difficult technology to wrap your mind around and for companies to figure out. That's why it's such an important thing for people who are working in that space, providing services in that space, to be able to find people who have a very broad educational background. One of the challenges that I see is that we don't have enough people to fill the demand. We have many more opportunities for positions to be filled than we have talent out there to fill them. Uh, another thing I was going to mention too about that is that the universities that we have have traditionally trained people to focus in a specific area, like they become an electrical engineer, for example, in a four-year degree program. That electrical engineering program doesn't really necessarily apply right out of the box to a electrical engineering, controls engineering kind of role in an automation environment. So there's a lot more additional training that's required to get them there. I think that we will see and we are seeing the vocational educational world picking up the slack and providing training that allows people coming right out of high school to become well-versed in automation-related skill sets so that they can go to work rather quickly and be productive in the space. Thanks, Jeff. I, I, that's a really good answer to that question. We, um, we're talking more and more to systems integrators and automation and robotics people, and really it's almost reaching those the kids when they're in the grade schools and the teachers and the principals, and that's probably a topic for another uh, conversation about how do we get more people into the automation industry. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an awareness thing. I think it's um, people are turned on by the idea of robotics and kids think that robots are cool. Uh, what we do in industrial automation is a little bit different. And so that that part has to be imparted, I think, early on for folks. That's for sure. One of the questions I have is, is kind of a little bit about company culture. So what's the company culture today that sets employees up for success and best retains talent? Because that's another big issue in the, uh, in the automation industry. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the whole notion of work is changing radically and very rapidly. And I think employers who understand the difference between the aging baby boomers like myself and the millennials that are coming into the workforce and then the next generation beyond, there's a difference between those folks and what they are motivated by and what they want to do and how they want to do it. So really what I think it is, a, a lot of it has to do with trust. A lot of it has to do with mentoring. A lot of it has to do with providing those people the opportunity to learn and to give them the kind of support that they need in order to be successful. I think that trust is very important. Uh, when you have a culture that provides a sense of we trust you to do your job and we're not going to look over your shoulder every moment in order to get the results that we're looking for. People thrive in that kind of environment. In the old school world of punching a clock, you punch in, you do your work, you leave, and you're judged upon whether or not people complain about we're having to work with you. That uh, is not really a productive way today to be able to get people to engage and to really like what they do. Uh, and we, this is a topic we can talk about for, uh, for hours, I'm sure. But uh, I do think that it's all about looking at people as people, first and foremost, 
And then as professionals who are going to help your company be successful, secondly. Yes, it seems that it's changed quite a bit in the last bunch of years. And that is a good segue into my next question about millennials, because that's a big part of the workforce now. It's 50% of the workforce. So why are millennials different? And what should companies be doing to attract them? I think that if you think about millennials and who they are and where they've come from, they are my kids, our kids. They have seen their parents work really hard for the companies they've worked for. They've watched them do the nine to five grind day in and day out. And, a lot, and in a lot of cases, I think they've seen their parents not be as happy as they could have been in their careers. And as a result, I think they may look at work and the notion of work and being dedicated to a company with a jauntist eye. I feel like those younger folks need to be engaged differently than their parents have been engaged. And as I mentioned earlier, I think in general, people need the things I'm going to mention here, but millennials in particular need flexibility, they value autonomy and the ability to lead a better life. In order to attract millennials, I think companies have to be sure to communicate the values and the benefits that come with working for your company. And they also need to provide them flexible hours and a wide variety of responsibilities. Millennials, I think, want to know where they stand. They want to be praised when they do well. They need to be coached. They like being coached. They need help and want to be helped. And articulating that understanding of their needs will help you attract them to your company. So in the interview process to make sure that you're conveying that you get that difference and that you can engage with those people because you do get that difference will enable you to attract those kind of folks to want to come to work for you. Uh, Jeff, that's a great answer. Um, one of the things that we didn't really talk about in, in your answer is about, about mentorship. And um, how important do you think that is, especially to the automation industry? I mean, when I was in the industry, that wasn't something that we really talked ever about. How, are you having that conversation about mentorship? I am. I think that with baby boomers sunsetting out of the workforce, there is a huge void. And in order for that mind share to get passed along before the baby boomers disappear, there needs to be a very deliberate passing of the torch, if you will. So companies need to look at their workforce, look at those baby boomers, look at the timeline associated with their sunsetting out, and make sure that those baby boomers are imparting that knowledge to the next generation of folks that they have inside. The younger folks will enjoy that kind of support and they will benefit by that kind of support and I feel like that will help them be much more productive much more quickly for the companies that they work for. And also, it will engage those older folks who are getting ready to move on and have them feel much more like they're leaving their legacy in a positive way with the company. Also, mentors from the time that a new higher starts, let's say a person right out of school comes into your company, assigning them a mentor just to give them someone to chat with at lunch, over coffee, in the evenings to help them through the maze of figuring out the company and the responsibilities and everything that's going on. It can be 
a daunting thing for young people who are coming out of school and getting into the workforce to just figure out how to figure out work. What does it mean? What are my responsibilities? How am I going to be measured? All of that can be made a lot more easy to absorb if there's a mentor there to support that person. I agree with you. I think that it would be such a a cool part of working, you know, maybe you've been working in the industry for 20 or 25 years to have that responsibility and accountability that you are teaching this next generation of toolmakers or automation integrators or vision programmers, whatever they happen to be. Uh, I think it's very cool. And I hope that there's some uh, human resource people listening into the podcast today going, I'm going to do that starting Monday. I'm going to start a mentorship program at my company. Yeah, that would be great. I think that people have been so caught up in the demands and the growth of the automation industry, some of the nuances and how you ensure that your workforce is happy, healthy, and fulfilled gets forgotten about. And in order for things to work out going forward in a positive way, I do think that focusing on workforce development and culture development within your company is going to be extremely important. Um, Jeff, one of the sad parts about, about people is if people leave companies. And, and I wanted to ask you this because you have a lot of these conversations. So why do you think people are leaving companies? Well, there's obviously a lot of reasons why that happens. And I think the number one reason is that people have things change that's beyond their control. So it isn't because necessarily they're dissatisfied the situation as it exists, things happen. Companies get purchased, their managers change, the focus of the company changes, things happen, and they end up feeling uncomfortable because of a managerial shakeup. Other than that, I I think it happens because employees feel like they've been treated unfairly for some reason. Usually, it has to do with unkept promises. They hire on to a company with a certain set of expectations and goals. Management agrees that that's the direction they want to go. But for some reason, those expectations aren't met. Those goals can't be reached. And things change so that they end up being uncomfortable. The people who are working feel like they've lived up to their part of the bargain, and they feel like the company has not recognized and rewarded them accordingly. So I don't think that... There's any one reason, but for the most part, I feel like it has to do with people feeling like they're not being treated as they expect to be treated. And that's pure and simple. Lastly, I do feel like the money involved is an issue sometimes, but I do think lifestyle and job satisfaction are equally important, if not more important than the compensation involved. I think you're right. I think the uh, two, especially with millennials coming through, they're smarter, they're faster, they know everything, but they also are a little bit impatient, I think in general, but they also are high performers and they need stretch goals and they need that management. Absolutely. I agree. What are some of the big mistakes that you see uh, automation companies making when they're trying to hire talent and how can they avoid uh, making them? I, that's a great question. I think that we are going through a sea change in how we approach attracting talent to companies. I think companies are getting smarter about this, but in general, my recommendation 
for companies is to see the recruiting process and the talent building process in your company as one of the most important things that you do right up there with satisfying your customers and getting orders and keeping your customers happy. The automation industry is high growth, and it's important that companies create a robust and effective strategy and methodology for building these teams. They have to have a sense of urgency and adopt an agile interview and decision-making process. Right now, we have a situation in the world out there where candidates and employees, past and present, can make it clear how they feel about a company. If you're considering going to work for a company, you just go on Glassdoor and you can find reviews to determine what people think about working for a particular company. In some cases, I've read reviews where people go and interview at a company, have been treated poorly, and that gets put up there so that anyone can go find it and read it. So companies need to be aware that when they are putting people through an interview process, they are in effect, selling themselves to the world. And if you treat people poorly in that process, those people are going to tell their friends and they're going to tell their friends. And pretty soon you're a company that has a bad reputation when it comes to being a positive or negative place to work. So developing an employer brand needs to be something that is placed as a very high priority within an organization. The kind of strategies that I think companies should adopt include looking at every candidate as being right until they're wrong. And what I mean by that is that the assumption should be made that if you're going to take the time to talk to that candidate and begin a dialogue with them about the possibility of coming to work for your company, give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they are, in fact, appropriate for your company. The old school methodology years ago would have been I'm bringing you in, you need to prove to me that you are worthy for us to hire you. That's not going to work in today's world. You need to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and you need to treat them professionally in the process. Make it a personal process, make it something where there's transparency from both sides. Make sure that you as the hiring company understand what it is you're trying to accomplish in making that hire and make sure everyone within the organization who is going to have touch points with the candidate to interview them, that everyone is in agreement about what that strategy is, what the job description is, what are the goals of the job, um, how people will be measured in their performance in that job. So that in the interview process, you don't have a situation where a candidate looks at someone across the desk and that person says, well, I'm not sure what it is we're interviewing you for. I've had that happen actually, where I've had client companies do that. And obviously it's a big turnoff for a candidate who will then say, I'm not sure I want to work for a company who doesn't even know why they're interviewing me. So, you know, having a cohesive plan for each and in each individual position and having this agreement internally that you're not there to trip people up you're there to get people to open up, to relax, to understand what they're all about, and to, in essence, talk shop, tell people what you do, how you do it, what it is you want that person to do within the organization, how you would love for them to fit into that organization. And 
in exchanging that information, you're also imparting a sense of the culture of your company. And that is what's going to help you land that candidate when you determine that they are, in fact, someone you want to make an offer to. They will be impressed with the process and they will already want to come to work for you. No, that's great. It's, it's kind of like, I, I really like that idea about being right until, until they're wrong, right? Or, and it comes down to these people just really want to be treated well. They want you, the employer, to put the same prep that they, the interviewer, put into uh, getting ready for the interview. Absolutely. You know, something that I think is really important is that people who work for companies always be in this mode where they're recruiting, no matter who they are talking to, always selling the virtues of their company and why it is that they like working for that company, becoming an ambassador for the company at all times, um, even if there aren't any active posted positions to recruit into the company at a given point in time there's still this sense that, yes, we're a great place to work. We don't have any needs at the moment, but we're always looking for the best talent that we possibly can. And that kind of brings up another subject. And that is that companies, in my estimation, should always, when they're budgeting, have some surplus budget available to take advantage of the availability of excellent candidates who might become available and hire them, even though there isn't a quote unquote stated opening. The way things are going right now, you just cannot find people when you need them. So if you're at a point where you don't necessarily need them at that moment, having that hire in place and ready to go as you grow and you can then have those folks be directly productive is a really great way to make sure that you are stacking your bench with folks who can come in and be productive when the need arises. I know that CFOs probably balk at that kind of an idea because it's really hard to justify. But when we're talking about mentoring earlier, it's kind of the same idea. If you bring folks in that you have kind of in training and development mode that you're ready to roll into these more important positions when the time comes and they're ready, that is a hard thing to justify when you look at the bottom line sometimes. But I really think it's important if you're going to be successful in the future. No, that's a really good idea. It's kind of like banking your talent. Um, exactly. So we talked about this before and, and we, you and I've talked at trade shows and, and other gatherings. What are some of the candidates' little red flags that you've talked about with to me? What's, what's kind of on your little red flag list? Well, there's two ways to look at it. So candidates who are looking at a company and considering a company to go to work for, they might have some little red flags that would pop up in that process. And conversely, employers who are vetting candidates who they might consider to interview to bring on, there are little red flags. So starting with the candidate side, candidates who I find to be the most compelling are those who understand that in order to build your career, you should always be open to networking and discussing your career path with folks like myself in the recruiting business or companies where there may be an opportunity in the future. So if a company approaches someone and says, hey, would you be interested in an opportunity here? To automatically say no and shut that door is really a foolhardy approach. The best people no matter their focus or role, are those who see themselves as a part of a team and understand the big picture success and strategy of the business 
that they're in and the role they play in helping a business succeed. So when you have this conversation with a potential employer, even if you're not interested and you're extremely happy where you are, to make sure that you're explaining what role you play and how you fit into the business and the importance of your role within that company, you will impress that person that you're talking to. And even though you might not be interested in that particular opportunity, that particular moment in time, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? An acquisition might occur. Someone might come in and say, hey, we're cutting the whole department. You're out. So you always need to be sure to be open and ready to have those kinds of conversations. Now, I'm not saying that you should give off the sense that you're ready to make a move at a moment's notice, no matter what, that would imply that you would be a quote unquote job hopper potentially. But, you know, you really need to be in a position to take advantage of opportunities that might come your way. So always selling yourself as a valuable person in the industry no matter what the situation is going to only help you build your career in the industry. And one thing I do want to caution people about is, and I've run into this often, I'm very cautious about candidates who speak poorly of the companies that they have worked for in the past or those they are working for currently. And what that indicates oftentimes that there is some kind of a pattern that has been part of their past. So really, you want to find people who may be in a challenging situation, but they understand that you always need to be thinking about things in a positive way. It's a learning experience. Things may have not may not have gone well in a particular situation with a particular company, but you're, you learned from that and you've improved yourself from that experience. So I, I guess in, in plain English, uh, if I hear someone who comes across as being a quote unquote whiner, big turnoff, big red flag. So from the candidate side, I think that candidates react negatively to an uneven interview process, lack of follow-up on the part of the company, unclear or inconsistent presentation of the company value statement by the folks that they interview with, or an inconsistent description of what the role is and the goals of the position, just to name a few. So, you know, it, it's kind of a two-way street, but you have to be careful to try to judge things too quickly. You need to be careful to not discount things because you do have a red flag pop up. I've seen employers react to red flags in a negative way with the candidate who just is not very good at interviewing, but they have a lot of value. So while you need to be aware that those red flags could perhaps have meaning, I think it's really important to dig in deeper and try to analyze that before you come to a snap decision to not consider that candidate. Thanks, Jeff. There's a lot of little red flags, and you're right. They're on both sides of the conversation, so it's, it's especially good to minimize those in the, uh, in the interview process. One of the questions that we talked about for this uh, uh, podcast is, what is the difference between motivating engineers versus motivating, say, salespeople, for example? I really think this is an important question and something that having a grasp of helps employers be able to identify perhaps engineers who have the basic instincts to be able to become good salespeople. So salespeople are motivated by the thrill of the hunt and the exhilaration related to winning and closing the deal. They thrive on helping customers overcome the challenges that the customers have. And oftentimes, 
they will be more loyal to their customers than the companies that they work for. And that can be a management challenge for the company that they need to be aware of. But I've seen this happen oftentimes where a company is doing things that do not sit well with the customer that the salesperson is connected with. And they have to be careful because they may feel like they need to take the customer side in order to represent their interests and lobby for their interests with the company. That happens a lot. And companies have to understand that they want their salespeople to be connected with and to protect the interest of those customers. For salespeople to succeed, they have to be enthusiastically supported by the engineering team and the engineers inside the companies need to respect the sales team. The best salespeople sell both externally to customers and internally to those who support the sales process, especially engineers. Sometimes you have this animosity between sales and engineering inside an organization. And when I'm talking about companies, typically I'm talking about automation companies selling automation products automation solutions, systems, that sort of thing. Sometimes engineers feel like the salespeople don't really understand them and vice versa. So as a man, from a management perspective, I think it's really important that managers at a higher level within the organization make sure that those lines of communication are always there and that mutual respect is always paid attention to and that folks do treat each other well. Engineers uh, are motivated by the love of working with leading edge technologies, keeping engineers in a role that requires them to do monotonous things day in and day out and using outdated tools and approaches will lead to boredom and non-productivity and dissatisfaction on their part. They always want to be working with the best things that are out there. And as a company, it's important that you provide them with cutting edge tools so that they can do their jobs better or cutting edge technologies that they can apply to the work that they're doing. Uh, salespeople get instant gratification from winning business, but engineers don't get to directly enjoy that thrill unless the culture of the company ensures the wins are shared by the entire team. Engineers are critical to company success, and they need to be treated as such rather than as an afterthought or a hindrance to the success of the sales process. And I've seen companies who've done a great job of incentivizing application support engineers who become a part of that sales process. They do the quoting. They do the interaction with the engineers at the customer level. They are the bridge that meets the company where the important conversations happen. It's all about the technology, how to make it work. And the salesperson kind of guides that communication process. But the companies that monetarily reward those applications to support engineering folks when a, pro a project is closed, when a deal is closed, to get them involved, you need to help them feel like they're important, not only by bringing them into the process, but also by giving them a little monetary thank you when the deal is done. So I don't see that happening as much as it needs to happen in the automation technology space. I do see it happening in the computer systems world. I have a good friend who's an applications engineering manager for a 
value-added remarketer of computer systems, and he and his team participate in the commissions won by the sales team. And as a result, they are all in on every project they work on. And that is something that I think could be adopted successfully in the automation industry. I think that in general, everyone needs to have a sense of their present value and future value in a company. And companies that recognize that and provide the best clear, laid out, ongoing growth and promotion path and plans will have the best retention rates. Absolutely, Jeff. I totally agree with you. Um, Just one more quick question before we finish up. What are some of the jobs that you're seeing more and more interest in? Is it, I mean, we talked about applications engineers, uh, about vision professionals and salespeople. Which ones are the hottest? I think that the most valuable person in an automation company that's selling automation to manufacturers, as well as manufacturers who are automating are the people who understand controls and software and the people who can, in my vernacular, make the equipment sing and dance. Robot programmers, motion control programmers, PLC programmers, PLCs will still be around for a long time, even though you're seeing less of them. They're not about to go away. So that's ladder logic programming. People who are the hands-on, almost mechanics of today, the folks that interface with those machines and the software technologies and glue it all together in order for it to work properly in a manufacturing 4.0 environment. If you want to learn how to do something that's extremely valuable, if you're in high school, just figuring out what you want to do next, figure out how to quickly learn a specific function like programming an industrial robot. That gets you started. You can go to school, a trade school for two years, and in two years, come out of that trade school with a skill to, let's say, program a FANUC robot, for example, and you can get a job making eighty-five dollars to $90,000 two years out of high school if you go do that. Those people are in such high demand, they can pretty much write their own ticket right now. Excellent. Hey, uh, so this, we are talking with uh, Jeff Chapman, who's president of the Chapman Group. Jeff, how does, um, if so, there's people listening out here today that would love to have a, a deeper conversation with you, how can they get in touch with you? So you can find me on the web at thechapmangroup.com, T-H-E, my last name, Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N, the word group, G-R-O-U-P.com. You can email me at jeff at thechapmangroup.com. I am happy to have you connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look up my name and you'll find me in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I live and work. And uh, as long as you are involved in the automation industry or have a desire to be, I am happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. And I'm always building my LinkedIn universe with folks who are in the industry or who have interest in the industry. Thank you, Jeff. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Robot Nation podcast. Again, that's the podcast dedicated to advanced manufacturing, capital equipment, and the robotics and automation industry. We'll be covering trends and topics important to factory automation and robotics, and we will interview guests in our upcoming series of podcasts. So everyone, thanks for listening and have a great day.